If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke and also in um, that of Matthew, but uh, we'll start in Luke chapter 16. We're going to look at the story of the rich man or the rich ruler and that of Lazarus. And uh, we are in the second week of this series that I have entitled Tough, uh, Hard Issues in Life. Last week we looked at God's Word and we saw that God's Word was the foundation. Um, It is the foundation of our life. It's the foundation of creation that He spoke this world into existence. That this Word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it is here for you and it is here for me for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, for every aspect of our life. And that is to be the foundation, God's Word. And from that, I said we would uh, branch out, so to speak, in some different issues in life. Um, Luke chapter 16. A couple of weeks ago, I... uh, found myself talking with a guy, and we'll just call his name Chad, but I found myself talking to a guy, um, and conversation shifted to spiritual things, and he just started backing up a little bit as we were talking. His words were backing up, his physical um, body was backing up, and so we continued to talk, and he said, i Never want to be a part or associated with a God. A God who hates and who sends someone to hell. I just don't think that a loving, and he used fingers, I don't think that a, quote, loving, end quote, God could ever do that. That has stuck with me, and uh, as we look at this passage, as I've been studying this passage, reading over this passage numerous times, I just started to reflect back to that one gentleman. Because I believe that in your world, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, there are all kinds of people, numerous people that have the same thoughts that that gentleman had. Let's see the story that Jesus spoke about as we look at judgment. This morning I want us to see two contrasts from this passage and from others like it. I'm going to read... Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, I'll read through the end of the chapter. And as I read, I want you to see the contrast that Jesus describes in the rich man, the rich ruler, and that of Lazarus. And we will walk through this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate, was laid a a poor man named Lazarus, 
covered in sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and they licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man, he also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five Brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a weighty story. What a a heavy passage to try to wrestle with this morning. What, what, a, what a tough subject. Father, I speak to a group of men and women, a group of boys and girls this morning. Father, we are we're Americans. We are independent people, Westerners. And God, for Maybe not us in this room, but Lord, I'm not naive to believe that it's not that case also. But Father, for this culture, for the place that we live, the people that we are around, this is a hard, a tough issue. And God, it's one that we have to deal with in life. Father, I pray that you would speak as we see the contrast. God, I stand on your word where you state that you wish that none would perish, but you wish that all would have or all would come to eternal, everlasting life. Lord, that opportunity is there for us today. 
God, would you allow your spirit to move in each and every individual that is in this room? God, draw them to yourself. It is your kindness that leads us to salvation. Father, it is the great news of your son, Jesus, that you gave, that you love sinners like me and like us so much. God, would you speak exactly where we are in our lives at this moment so that we would understand it is you who speaks this morning. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. To contrast. The first is this. Uh, take a quick look at the contrast of the persons in life. Of these two men in their life, you need to see that there was a stark contrast. It, it was so stark. There could not be a greater contrast that was given of two individuals. These two men pictured, and Jesus knew that as he was telling this story to the crowd, to the group, he understood that this was the greatest contrast that he could give, and it was something that he was going to build upon as we look at a second contrast. But let's look at this first Contrast the, the persons in their lives or the persons in life. Here is the contrast. The, the first is rich. The second is poor. The first is a ruler. The second is a beggar. The first is clothed in purple. The second is clothed with sores. The first doesn't have a name. The second has a name. His name is Lazarus. The first, this rich man, this rich ruler, he feasted daily. The second, he longed to eat morsels that fell off the table that the dogs would get. The first lived lavishly. The second lived at a gate and dogs came and licked his sores. If there were ever a contrast, these two men's, these two men and their lives would be the picture of it. One was rich. He had anything that he wanted, everything that he wanted, everything that he could think of or ask of, he had it. The other wanted crumbs, and he didn't have it. The other day, Stephen Wright our uh, missions and kid, children's pastor, he and I went to uh, lunch, and I love Stephen. Stephen's not here, so I'm going to talk about him for a moment, and uh, if I wanted him to know this, I've already told him, okay? It's not that I will tell him, I already told him, but I love it. Stephen and I were um, eating lunch the other day, and he had a huge plate of food in front of him, I had a huge plate of food in front of me, and before we took a bite, he said, Brian, what do you think the definition of gluttony is. It's like, why do you ask me that right now? I'm about to devour everything that is in this vicinity around me. I was like, don't ask me that now. But I was thinking, here's this man, a rich ruler, 
And he feasted daily. Anything that he wanted. I think I'll have Outback. I think I'll have Olive Garden. I think I'll have Zaxby's, Boncebo. I think I'll have Windy City Grill. You put the restaurant there, he could get it, and he did get it because that's what he wanted, and he feasted there every single day. And then there's this other guy. He just wanted some crumbs. He begged for them. Just morsels. Clothed in purple. Clothed with sores. It is upon this contrast. The first portion of this passage as Jesus is just drawing the folks in. I mean, he has a huge hook. They do not see it. They don't know that it's coming, but he is drawing them in with this contrast between a rich ruler and this beggar named Lazarus. And then he sets the hook. And in setting the hook, you and I need to see a second contrast this morning. Take with me just a moment to gaze at the contrast of their final destinations. The rich man lived. The poor man, Lazarus, he died first. Then the rich man also died. The rich man was buried. Lazarus was carried away by angels. The rich man was buried and was, and he found himself in Hades. And the Lazarus, the beggar, he found himself carried away to Abraham's bosom. Contrast. Remember the question, how is it that a loving God can send a person or people or numerous peoples to hell? Keep your place here in Luke 16 and go back over to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, pretty much the, the whole of the 46 verses speak of the end times. They speak of when Jesus is coming back. They speak of being prepared and being ready when that day occurs, when final judgment comes. There's a story of Ten virgins with their lamps. There's a parable of talents and who is obeying and who is ready and who is not. And then at the end, the last 15 verses, there is him turning and looking at final judgment. When the Son of Man comes in His glory. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And before Him will be gathered all the nations. And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep 
from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was... Um, in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Who's hell prepared for? It's prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. Naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't, did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when... Did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he'll answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The story of the rich man and Lazarus is something that Jesus told so that he could get across the point of eternity. The story of the rich man and Lazarus was something that was told in his day, for his time, and also for yours and mine, even to this day, so that we could grab a hold of the weightiness of this contrast. The rich man died and found himself in Hades. Lazarus died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, to his side, and he was there in eternal rest. I want to spend the next few moments just sharing with you a couple of descriptions from these two passages of what hell is. The first is this, that hell is separation. It is separation from God. It is separation from everything that that person did not want in his or her life. C.S. Lewis stated it this way. He, he had a, a great line in The Problem of Pain. In the chapter in the book, The Problem of Pain, dealing with hell, he says this. What do you want God to do? Hell is the greatest monument in the history of the world to human freedom. He says, what do you want God to do? Do you want God to forgive them? 
but they won't be forgiven. What, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to leave them alone? Alas, says Lewis, that's exactly what he's going to do. You and I lose our independence when we go to God. When we give our lives over to God, we lose our independence. But in losing our independence, we gain our freedom for all eternity. At the deepest, deepest level of a person, at the creation level, the original level, we know that in His Face in God's face is the fullness of joy, and in and at his right hand are the pleasures forevermore. The only thing that is happening to an individual who rejects God throughout his or her whole life is this God allowing them to do exactly what they want to do, and that is anything except be with him. And He will allow that. He will allow that for a time period in a person's life here on this earth. And He will allow that for all eternity. It's not that He is sending anyone to hell. It is that their choice, possibly your choice, is that you don't want to do what God desires or what His will is. And therefore, He says, okay, have at it. For the parents in the room. Let me give you an illustration. If you have a a child who is maybe three, four, five, they know when you say, hey, don't do this, don't touch this, they know, okay, I'm really not supposed to do that. They may not know why you're not supposed to do that, but they know at that age, if Mom or dad says, hey, don't touch that pot, it's hot. Don't put your hand on the stove, it's hot. Now, it may not be 550 degrees, but it's hot. And they, you know, you have this quick conversation. Hey, Brian, don't touch that, it's hot. Yes, sir. Turn to walk away, and in the corner of your eye, what's Brian doing? He's reaching up, he's reaching up, and I'm touching it. And what happens? It hurts. But what did my dad do? What do you do? Mom, dad, if it was burning hot, there was no way that you would allow your son or your daughter to stay there to be able to touch it. You would have moved them away. But sometimes, all right, the plate's hot. Yeah, don't touch it. It's hot. Ow. And it burns. God says to you, and He says to me, Hey, Brian, I have the very best for you. I have the absolute best for you right now. I have the absolute best for you, Brian, for all eternity. Here is the way. Here is the truth. Here is life. Why don't you walk that way? That's the absolute best. And I say, you know what, God? No, I want to go this way. I want this life. I want to do this, or I want to do that. And he says, no, this is the very best. I have it. I've already got it all for you. But if you want that, that's what you want. True love allows you to go that direction, if that's what you want. Because he didn't create you, he didn't create me 
a robot. Hell is separation. There's a great chasm in this passage. And the the chasm is fixed. The chasm is there. It's not wavering. It's not shifting. It is fixed. There is a definitive end of heaven and there is a definitive end of hell. And those are fixed and so is the chasm in between them. And there is separation. But not only is there separation, but hell also is self-deception. You see this man in hell? In Hades, in torment, in anguish, in fire. He still believes that he's over Lazarus. He still believes that he's better than or in charge of Lazarus. Abraham, tell him to go do this. I need some refreshment. I need just a touch of water on the tip of my tongue. Tell him to go do it. There's no remorse of those that are in hell. Milton wrote Paradise Lost. And one of the false ideas of hell comes from Milton. In his book, Paradise Laws, Milton states this about Satan. And Satan says this in the book, Better to reign in hell than to serve here or in heaven. And the thought, from that moment, the thought just catapulted that Satan is in charge in hell. No, Satan is not in charge in hell. Satan is one of the ones being tormented, one of the ones in anguish, one of the ones in the fire. He is the one it was built for. He's not ruling over it. He is in agony and pain because of his deception and his sin. This man is self-deceived. He still believes he's over Lazarus. There is no remorse He he isn't sorry. All he wants is comfort. It's not, oh Lord, please forgive me. Oh Abraham, please forgive me. He's even talking to the wrong person. He's talking to Father Abraham instead of God. He wants comfort. Reminds me of the book of Hosea. The whole children of Israel. In Hosea, the end of chapter 5, all of chapter 6, the children of Israel are saying, You know what, in two or three days, if we just come back to you in two or three days, God will work and everything's going to be all right. And he says, no, that's not the case. Because you want comfort instead of cleansing. This guy wanted comfort in the midst of his agony and his torment. He wanted comfort, but God says, no, there must be cleansing. And that won't come about in hell. You fast forward to the end of Hosea, they finally get it. And they get that revival, they get that cleansing, and that's exactly what they needed. Self-deception, he thinks he's still over Lazarus, there's no remorse. All of his focus is on himself and that of comfort. But then he says this, I beg you, Father. Send him, Lazarus, back to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place 
of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In essence, he's saying they have this. They have the scriptures. Let them hear the scriptures. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Jesus finishes the story and he says, through the words, figure of Abraham, he said, if they don't hear this, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Who rose from the dead? Jesus. He rose from the dead. They didn't believe Moses and the prophets. They didn't believe all of Scripture. They did not believe Jesus. The question that you and I must come to answer is not the question, why would a loving God send someone to hell? That's not the question that has to be answered. The question that has to be answered for you and for me individually is this. Do you believe what God says about a fixed end? Heaven, hell. Do you believe that there is hell? This is what God's Word states about it. And if that is the case, and I believe that it is the case, then therefore the way that you are to live 2015, the way that you are to live today, the way that you are to talk to those at the water cooler, in the coffee pot, at the dinner table, uh, in the bed next to you, the way that you are to speak to every single person every single day changes. Because there is a hell. And those that don't believe in Christ. That he came and lived a perfect life. That he died for your sin and for my sin. That he rose from the dead. So that you and I might live for all eternity. Those that will not, have not, never will accept that fact. They will spend eternity away from. Years ago, when Calvin Coolidge was vice president, back in the 1920s, Calvin Coolidge was uh, presiding over the Senate, and uh, there was a heated debate between two senators, and it, it got hot, and they, they were at odds with each other, and as they were at odds with each other, one blurted out, why don't you just go to hell? And it took the other senator aback. And he said, uh, Mr. Vice President, did you just hear what that gentleman stated to me? And here's Coolidge's response. A 
upon being asked if it was an appropriate remark, Coolidge looked at him and stated, Oh, of course not. I, I do not believe that that was a re- an appropriate remark. I've read the rule book. And you don't have to go to hell if you don't want to. That's the reason why this doctrine, why this statement about Hell and judgment is of the greatest comfort to anybody who hears it. It's not the greatest rebuke. It's of the greatest comfort because anyone who hears about this place that was made for the devil and his angels, you don't have to go there. The opportunity for you, sir, the opportunity for you, ma'am, is there for us not to ever have to go there. But it only comes in the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord of your individual personal life. It only comes at the point where you say, I give up my independence so that I might have eternal freedom. It's a tough issue because of the culture that we live in, the political correctness that is all around us. When folks say it's an exclusive argument, it's the only argument. He is either who he says he is, God, creator of all things, or he's not. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's a tough saying. It's a tough issue. Father, it is an issue that we must not just consider, but Father, it's an issue that we must deal with. Because one day, God, your word has stated that one day you will say to your son, go get my children. And one day, every single person will stand before you and you will, just as we read in Matthew 25, you will separate those to the right of you and those to the left of you. And Father, those that are not your sheep. Father, it may be some even in this room. But Father, those that are not your sheep, you will say, depart from me, I never knew you. God, I pray that this morning you, your spirit has spoken to our hearts as a wake-up call, as a reminder, maybe even jolting us in 2015, God, that this is, Father, what we are to be about, what our understanding and what our focus must be upon. Because the days are drawing nigh. The urgency must be there. It must be there for me. It must be there for every single one of us. Because you love. And you do not want any to perish. 
we want all to have eternal life. And the only way that they will do that, Father, is if we, your people, share. God, you used this time this morning to bring us to repentance. Father, to show us where we are proud, where we have been stiff-necked and rebellious and not willing to speak to a neighbor, to a family member, to a co-worker, to a friend, an acquaintance. Not being willing to share about who you are and who your son is. But Father, that you would bring these words from Luke 16, from Matthew 25, from Hosea, from Psalms. God, to draw your people draw me to understand we must talk about this because of who you are.